morning, church. So quiet out there. Oh, what a day. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. You look great. Worship was amazing. I think we're going to do that song, that new song again at the end of my message. If we have time, I have seven pages of notes today. I normally have four, so you can do the math on that. Uh, so we'll see what we get to, but I really liked that. Is it, was it the first time we did that today? It was a great song. We need to do that again now that you guys had a warm-up. Um, please stand to your feet, please. We love to stand to our feet around here just to honor the reading of God's Word. I am in a series called You Were Made For This. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about the different things that you were made for. Uh, You were made for connection, right? You were made for, last week we talked about you were made for war. Uh, You were made for others. I I actually want to just back up a bit. Now, how many of you were here or you at least heard the sermon? Maybe you weren't here, but you heard the sermon online from last week. How many? Good. A few of you missed that. That's wonderful. That means that you can go back this week and listen to that. I decided to just dig a bit deeper on that topic of spiritual warfare. Um, I want to, I don't know, I want to be a bit more thorough and comprehensive on it, on what that looks like. Last week was an incredible sermon, probably. uh, Someone said in the top five of all-time sermons. Well, first they said top ten, then they said, no, top five. So I'm hoping this week they'll go back and change it to top three. Uh, But it was a good sermon for sure. And I encourage you to listen to that today. Uh, the title of my sermon is called Basic Training. Do I have any military folks in the house? Any military? Military wives, you count. Military children, known as, also known as brats, you count. Uh, basic training. I did my basic training in the United States Air Force in San Antonio, Texas. In not, thank you. Thank you. Oh, that was Jordan? Thanks, son. In 1996, I think, 95, I don't remember, but um, basic training. I went into it knowing that it was just a head game. Everyone was like, Trey, just they're going to get in your head. They're going to beat you down so they can build you up. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I got this. No big deal. And then three weeks into it, I'm writing love letters home to my wife saying, I know I'm a miserable man. I don't know why you're with me. I mean, it was just pathetic, pathetic. I fell into the trap of basic training, uh, but it's true. They, they knocked me down, built me back up into another newer, better, stronger man. And hopefully in our time together in the next 30 minutes, I am going to beat you down, break you down. I'm going to step, I'm not just going to step on toes. I'm going to break some ankles in this place. And then my wife, you love confrontation. She's like, bring it, bring it. Actually, this sermon is not offensive at all, but I am going to show you the basics of spiritual warfare and hopefully send you out more equipped than when you came in. Is that all right? All right. I want to take you to our text, Ephesians. My wife. Oh, she's funny. Today is a good day. We say this around here. Today is a good day to renew my mind, encourage my soul, align with truth, and walk in faith. Let's jump into our text. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes or the plans of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in what? Heavenly places. We spent a lot of time on heavenly places Last week in heavenly places, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day 
And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. That was our text last week. I'm now adding another block of text for this week. We'll reference both throughout the sermon. That is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Father, we come before you today. God, I thank you for what you're doing among us. I thank you for how you have challenged us to live to our full potential. God, you, we were made for this. We were made for others. We were made for connection. And God, we were made for war. God, I ask that you would help us grow us in this sermon, God, in this sitting down with you. I ask that you would speak to our hearts, to our need. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say, amen. amen. Before you sit down, why don't you turn to three or four people Give them a good eye-to-eye contact and say, you were made for this. And then you may be seated. Anyone in here encountered spiritual warfare this week? Okay, several of you. Some of you are like, yes, definitely me. I did too. I did too. I mean, it, it was going strong Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for me. I went every day to Walmart looking for Girl Scout cookies, and they were not there. <laughs> but Friday, the Lord showed up. Got a, got a few boxes. Somebody told me it was the last weekend to sell, so I... I'm also afraid the apocalypse might be coming, so Steph and I stocked up on the Girl Scout cookies. I'm a, I'm a prepper. So I got me a few boxes of cookies hidden in the house. Jordan, Tristan, they're hidden. Uh, spiritual warfare is funny, you know? You, you don't always know how it's going to hit and, and how you're going to take it. Like, for, for example, I was just in worship. The Spirit of God was moving. I thought for sure the enemy couldn't attack me in that moment. I'm, I'm standing here worshiping, and I look up at the screen, and I see Miss Kathy. Where's Miss Kathy? Uh, Miss Kathy over here doing a great job in worship, and I'm looking at the screen, and I, I'm like, oh, who's the bald man? There's a bald man. There, on the floor, there was a new bald man in our church, and I was like, I wonder who that is. And then I realized it was me. It was the back of my head. And I'm like, well, I am praying that the eyes of our heart would be open, so maybe God's trying to show me something. Then I said, no, devil, get away. Just get away. I'm going to continue to call things that are not as though they are. <laughs> spiritual warfare. We talked last week how spiritual warfare uh, can just come out of nowhere and the enemy can use anybody, but we did make this claim and this assertion that people are not the enemy. Do you remember this? People are not the enemy. Now, when I say the phrase spiritual warfare, I understand that many of you come from different denominational backgrounds. There are many different contexts. So that word, that phrase, spiritual warfare can hit very differently across the room. For some of us, it's, we grew up in a church where it was never talked about. For others of us, we grew up in a church where the only time it was referenced, it was talking about humans that were slithering like snakes and roaring like lions and foaming at the mouth. Like These are real conversations that churches have about spiritual 
warfare. And sometimes you can be so immersed in an unhealthy conversation of spiritual warfare that then you just throw out all the details that you really do need to consume as a believer to fully understand what's going on in the spirit realm, in the heavenly places. So spiritual warfare can be a difficult conversation or topic for pastors like myself when you have such a diverse congregation. If we were all just, you know, eight people in my living room and I knew your history and your traditions and your thoughts, it would be a much more fluid conversation. So in this moment, I just have to kind of trust that you're here with the right motive to kind of just receive what Holy Spirit wants to deposit into your your own heart, okay? I don't want anyone to feel fear with this topic, confusion with this topic, concern about this topic. Spiritual warfare is one of the fundamental, systematic, theological discussions that need to happen so that you and I can thrive as believers, When we don't talk about spiritual warfare, we are failing to unlock the power that exists for us as believers. But I do acknowledge and understand that we have a varied history on the topic. For example, in March of 1995, five Korean women were arrested and charged with murder for allegedly beating a young woman to death in their attempt to cast demons out of her. During the summer of the same year, a man on a weekend fishing trip with his two teenage sons in New Mexico came to the conclusion that the boys were possessed by the devil. Uh Uh-oh, who's been there? As a parent, (laughs) up until this point in the story, we can all relate. We can all relate. But it takes a, a tragic turn, so... He came to the conclusion that the boys were possessed by the devil. He pulled off to the side of the road and beheaded one of his sons while the other fled the scene. Investigators on the case said he indicated he was trying to beat back the demons. He thought his child was the devil. Talk of, of demons and witches also reminds us of the shame of the Salem trials here in the good old U.S. of A., which happened over 300 years ago, an unrepeatable event, so we think. Or is it? According to the LA Times reports that in 1994, at least 100 witches were incinerated, that means burned, or stoned to death in South Africa. Many more have been forced to flee their villages, some have had their homes burned, and a number have had their children chased out of school, Many of the displaced now live in Witches Hill, a kind of refugee camp in a police-sponsored witches protection program. Spiritual warfare. It's critical for us to understand, but to remember that people are not our problems. We're not trying to burn anyone at the stake. We're not trying to mutilate anyone, behead anyone. People are never the problem. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of this dark world. Now, I have to just tell you, I have to newsflash, this this world, you may not believe this, but hear me out, our world is getting increasingly spiritual. I know we we look at the news headlines and the godlessness and the lawlessness, and we feel like our nation and our world is heading so far away from God, and and you are right. They are heading far from Yahweh, the one true God, but the world is getting increasingly spiritual. On, On the whole, on average, atheism and agnosticism, agnosticism simply means you don't believe at all that there is any higher power. Right, as opposed to Gnostics, Gnostics believe that there is something controlling the universe. Agnostic says there's nothing in control. Atheism and agnosticism are on the way out in our society. Only 5% of the population would identify themselves as either one of these. It's one of the lowest numbers in the history since we've been taking calculations of atheism and agnosticism. It's on the decline. So that's 
kind of refreshing. That's good to hear. People are starting to believe in something bigger than themselves. Great. 94% of Americans believe in God. 94% of Americans believe in God. All right. A God. They believe in a God. That's good. And 85% believe that religion is very important in their lives. 85% of Americans believe that religion is very important in their lives. I don't know how we got that number, but something's not adding up to me. Because if 85% of Americans believed that Yahweh was the one true God, that Jesus was the only way to the Father, that there was actually substance and benefit to a life of service and servanthood and loving Jesus, our world would not look the same. So something's not adding up. This 85%, don't be confused. This is not 85% of America is, they're born again believers. That's absolutely not the case. But 85% of people say religion is very important. On the other hand, Half of the population believes in the devil. Only half. Only 50% believe in the devil. That must be a fun religion, to only believe in a god but not a devil. That's a, conf a confusing one, but must be kind of relieving, I suppose. A quarter, 25% believe in ghosts. I mean, come on, who doesn't believe in a Casper every now and then? Ghost. Um, a quarter, 25%, believe uh, in the tenets of astrology. Uh, reading the stars for your future. Deciding who you're going to marry based on the alignment of Jupiter and Venus and, and comets and all of this. And as many as one out of six people thinks that he or she has been in touch with someone who has died. One out of six people believe that they have talked to someone who has died. Now, if that is you, there is no condemnation here. Uh, however, that is not a biblical concept. More than likely, what you did encounter was demonic activity that presented itself as an angel of light. We know from Scripture that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Besides, if they're in heaven... Why would God punish them by coming down to talk to you? I'm serious. I'm ser they are having just too much fun right now. Let them be. Let them have fun. You'll be up there, be up there soon. One out of six people think that they've talked to someone. And then one out of ten, one out of ten people say they have talked to the devil, Satan, good old Lucy himself, face to face. Now, you understand the devil is a, a one-man show, okay? That's one, it's a one entity. He's got demons and minions, legions. They've got, you know, a lot of armies. But the devil, there's just one devil, just like there's one Jesus. Now, out of 8 billion people, you're going to tell me the devil came and talked to you? Who are you? He's going to... Uh, excuse me, on Thursday, 9.30 a.m., I need to go and visit uh, Stefan. <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't know what, what, I don't know how the devil has the time to visit one out of ten people face to face, myself. He has not visited me. He has not um, visited me. Based on this Gallup study, it appears that religion and spirituality of various sorts uh, become, has become quite important to Americans. Many believe that this change is a result of, of an overemphasis on the naturalistic worldview. So decades ago, we shifted away from spirituality to a more holistic, naturalistic point of view and viewing the world. It's a worldview. And now the trend is we don't like that. We want to get back to spirituality. So we're swinging the pendulum hard away from the naturalistic view into the spirit realm. However, we're not anchoring our spiritual worldview in the gospel of Jesus Christ. A professor at Harvard stated that the Eastern religions have infiltrated into America 
quite nicely. In fact, they've become very pervasive. And it's almost created a paradigm shift with a whole new worldview that we've never seen before. Okay, she observes that this new Eastern worldview is not in competition with Christianity and Judaism, but it's reshaping them. So what we have known as historical Christianity, historical Judaism, is now morphing into something that has been influenced by the Eastern religions. At the root of this change is a new concept of God. The divine is no longer transcendent. You know, God, God transcends you and I. He is bigger than you and I. We can't contain him. That's the historical view of Christianity. But this new view of Christianity, he's moved from transcendent to imminent as salt is in water. You mix it up and you can't tell the difference between water and salt. This new version of Christianity says that God is in you. His nature is in you. Everything that is God is inside of you. And so if you look inside yourself, you can find the nature of God and what God is wanting to do on the earth. And so we are learning as Christians that we don't need to surrender our will. We don't need to lay down our agendas. We just need to look and inspect and analyze ourselves to see what God is wanting to do on the earth. And the overflow of that is we, we're now created God in our own image. That's good preaching right there. I'm watching myself on uh, Facebook so I can say hello to everyone that's watching. By the way, hello, Kimberly and Tim. Glad that you're watching today. Sorry that you're sick. Be healed in Jesus' name. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Frank. Cantu, we miss you guys. Oh, man, come next week. It's our big give. Like I see offering, we'd love to have you on that Sunday specifically, Frank. Um, we, instead of creating ourselves into the image of God, we have created God in our own image. Hmm. It's no wonder that we have tons of Christians walking around with strongholds and bondage and actually embracing it and calling it okay, all right, because after all, it's in me. God is in me. If it is in me, it must be okay. I, I want to share for a few minutes. I don't know if we gave you any blank notes, but if you didn't get any blank notes when you came in, you're going to want to take notes. So pull out your phone, go to your notes section, grab a piece of paper from your Bible, right in the margins of your book, because we're going to walk through some important concepts that I want you to get today. If you are living in bondage, you are not living the Christian life. Hear me. I know that. That has a potential to offend us. It offends me. So you, you can be offended as well. If you are living in bondage, you are not living the Christian life that God intends for you to live. John 10.10 10 said that Jesus came so that you may have life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God has come so that you may have life and have it to the full, so that you can live with freedom. Where there is bondage, there is deception, all spiritual bondage is ultimately rooted in deception. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 declares that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Some say liberty, some say freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That is, there is freedom where the Lord has influence in our life. When the Spirit of God is free to work and move in our life, there is freedom. And sadly, uh, many believers have taken the idea that spiritual struggle is just part of the Christian life. Spiritual defeat is not a cross that you and I have to carry. Feeling 
downcast, feeling like a failure, feeling defeated is not the suffering in Christ that you have been called to. We need to know the difference because we will lump them all into the one pot of the stuff that makes us feel ick and say we're suffering for Christ. But the truth is there are two different types of suffering and we must not get them confused because being defeated and downcast is not a sacrifice made unto God or a cross that you need to carry. I'll say it again for those who didn't write this down. Spiritual defeat is not a cross to carry. It's not even supposed to be part of the Christian life. Some people have this idea that the more we struggle spiritually, that the more spiritual we are. This is actually a lie and it's rooted in pride. It's a subtle form of pride, I suppose. We say really dumb things like, well, the devil's attacking me because he knows how big of a threat I am. What? That's not biblical. If you were a threat to the devil, the Bible says he will flee from you. He flees. He doesn't fight those he's afraid of. Uh Uh-oh, I know, that just broke some ankles. We've been blaming all this turmoil because we thought we were so super spiritual, we must really be the enemy's enemy. There's a reason he's not fleeing from you. Oh, man. You getting beat up does not bring glory to Jesus. You balled up in the corner of your bathroom, crying out, defeated, does not bring glory to God. Now, I've been there. My wife has been there, balled up, crying out on the floor. We, we've all been there, so there's no shame in that, but we just not, must not call that suffering for Christ. We just can't get it confused because if you, if you somehow elevate that defeated life that you're living and call that God's best, then you'll stay there way longer than you need to. Now, to be clear, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. That's a fact. You're going to have problems. What I'm not saying today that is that your life is going to be just wonderful. It's, you're never going to have any problems, never going to fight any sickness, never have any relational conflict. I'm not saying that. It's a fact you're going to have trials, you're going to have tribulation, you're going to face tragedy. Not everything is going to turn out the way that you want it to turn out. But here's what I'm saying. No matter what is happening around you, you should have spiritual victory within you. So spiritual warfare is not about us being defeated, feeling defeated, feeling exhausted, feeling weary, feeling like the enemy's always after us. That is not spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is suiting up for battle every morning, walking with your chest out, your head up, a pep in your step, understanding that through Jesus, you can conquer everything. That's spiritual warfare. It's not something that we have to dread or avoid or push off or or act like we don't want to be a part of it. Spiritual warfare gives us energy and strength and joy and power. No matter the pressures that come against you, there is power within you, Sayo. No matter what pressures are around you, there is power within you. God did not create you to live in confusion in anger, in depression, in hopelessness. No, he created you to live with purpose and with passion. I believe that no matter how long you've been in bondage or struggled with strongholds, you've lived less than the abundant life that Jesus died for. I believe, though, no matter how long you've been there, today you can be free. You can be free just like that. And I happen to know what sets you free. I know no matter what you're in bondage to, I know what sets you free. No matter what jail or prison you're in, I know what the key is to open the door. It's called truth. Truth 
will set you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The principle in this scripture is that thought patterns are like strongholds in the mind. So if we're going to break out of bondage, if we're going to fight this spiritual warfare, we're going to find breakthrough, we need to understand a few concepts today, and that's thought patterns are like strongholds in the mind. You can't fight the devil with your fist. You can go to the gym and practice all day long with your boxing, but you can't fight the devil with your fist. He's not intimidated by your education. He's not worried by your strength. He's not nervous if you're flinging a physical Bible around. You can do this all day long. You can carry this with you everywhere you go. He's not afraid of anything in the physical realm. Let me explain the enemy just for a second. The enemy is, is shifting shadows. He plays in the dark. His strongest weapons are like sharp silhouettes. His power is smoky illusions. You don't defeat darkness by screaming at it. You don't walk into a dark room and command the light to come on by just shouting at the darkness. I know you walk in a dark room, you stub your toe on a suitcase, you may do some shouting and screaming, but it doesn't change the status of the darkness. You don't defeat darkness by screaming at it or philosophizing about it, analyzing it, talking about it, complaining about it, gossiping about it, murmuring about it. There is only one way to get rid of the darkness, and that is you turn the light on. There's only one way. The moment you turn the light on, everything about the kingdom of darkness vanquishes. In a moment. Because it is a kingdom of shadows and silhouettes. Its warfare is done in the nighttime. And the moment you turn on the light, that kingdom of darkness loses. And we try to grab random thoughts and push them away. You know, the scripture says, take every thought captive. And so we get a, a bad thought, right? A shadowy thought, a silhouette thought. And we, we, we try to grab it, but our fingers go, go through the darkness because we can't get a handle on it. We try to hold on to the thoughts and take them captive, but we can't take thoughts captive until we have dismantled the thought patterns that hide the thoughts that are sent our way. Is it all right if we go a little bit deep today? Are you with me? Is it all right if I go a little over today? Well, I'm already over. Can I go overer? I want to expose the devil today. Write this down. Thoughts are fueled by lies. You have those thoughts that drop in and listen. The thoughts that come to your mind, that's not sin. You may have, you may have a thought that's not wholesome, not good, may, may involve sexuality, may involve violence, may involve who, whatever you can think. The moment that thought drops into your, your mind, that's not sin because you don't have control over the thoughts that enter your mind. But the thoughts that pitch a tent on the campground of your mind, you're accountable for that. Thoughts are fueled by lies. Now, what is a lie? I'm glad you asked. A lie is anything that contradicts truth. Okay? Simple, simple, simple definition. A lie doesn't become deception, though, until you believe it. 
So the enemy will try to send you lies, and it's not deception until you agree with that lie and you believe the lie. Once you become deceived, that lie becomes a thought pattern. It affects how you feel and behave. It becomes the lens from which you view the world. And how you feel and behave over time becomes what the world will call a habit. Our habits are born out of thoughts and feelings and behavior. Thoughts and feelings and behavior are born out of deception. Deception is born out of lies that we partner with and we agree with. Now, once we have a habit, you can break it temporarily. Anyone that's ever struggled with a an unholy habit, and you've sworn you would never do it again, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you can break it for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, maybe a couple of years. But then you find yourself at some point falling back into that habit and you break it temporarily, seasons without, but eventually you find yourself back in that. Now that back and forth going from the old thinking to the new thinking, to the old thinking, to the new thinking, the old behavior, to the new behavior, to the old behavior, to the new behavior. Are you breaking this down into your own context right now? This makes sense to what you wrestle with, that you go seasons of yelling, seasons of not yelling, seasons of yelling, seasons of not yelling, seasons of lying, seasons of being honest. The back and forth is what we call a cycle Many of us are living in cycles. Now, the cycle back and forth is what is known as spiritual bondage. Once you find yourself in a cycle of living without, then within, without, within, without, within, that, my friends, is spiritual bondage. Now, hopefully in this moment in the sermon, we can all identify the areas of our life that we are bound We can understand what the spiritual bondage is for our own. Too many people try to address the symptoms rather than addressing the source. All spiritual bondage is birthed out of spiritual deception. 100%. There is no exception to this. All bondage is birthed out of deception. Eve didn't sin until she was convinced of the lie that Satan told her. Deception. Uh, By the way, he didn't, this is just a side note, the devil didn't contradict the word of God until he first, until he first questioned the word of God. So be careful when you question the word of God. Well, did God really say X, Y, and Z? Because your questioning of the word of God will lead to contradicting the word of God. And contradicting the word of God leads to sin. Eve didn't sin until she was convinced of the lie that the enemy had told her. 99% of our spiritual bondage could be solved just by reading the word. Hear me. We are malnourished in the word of God. We are so spoiled with nice little apps that will spit out one verse and a nice little application that how we can apply it to our daily life and how we can have joy while doing dishes. That's wonderful. And I'm not anti-apps. I'm a computer scientist. Give me all the apps. But I don't even know how we think we can succeed in spiritual warfare when we are not consuming the word of God each and every day. If you need water every day to live physically, Don't you need the word every day to live spiritually? Someone once told me, oh, pastor, don't tell us to read the Bible every day. That's legalism. I said, no, it's not. Do you go home to your wife every day? Or do you say, honey, I'm going to be gone a couple days. I don't want to be too legalistic with this marriage. Do you know what I mean? We should be reading the word of God. I feel convicted saying it. Because I, too, should be reading more of the word of God. If you feel convicted by that, good. Read it. This is your life source. We all want an emotional experience with God. How about you get in the word? Because the word 
will solve 99% of your spiritual bondage. Knowing the truth will set you free. But we, I know, I get it. We don't want the hard work of reading the word to get free. We just want to, we want to grab a prophetic word. We want to grab an, grab an encounter. We want to, we just want to grab a red pill or a blue pill and want God to make it all go away. And God's like, I already made it all go away 2,000 years ago. Read it. The Bible is very clear. This is how you overcome. Now, I said 99%. I think there's probably 1% of our bondage that requires maybe fasting and praying, maybe getting in an accountability group, maybe um, getting a prayer group to pray with you. Oh, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Let's just break some lies today. I was going to share with you four open doors that allow the enemy to wreak havoc on your life, but I I think I'm going to skip over that today. I'll bring that back in another sermon at some point down the road. Instead, I, I just want to talk about, as I wrap up today, every tool that you need for spiritual warfare, is found in Ephesians 6. Every scheme of the enemy can be combated with Ephesians 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this darkness, of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts, of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand. Therefore, having girded your waist with truth. I just spent the entire sermon, my intro, 30-minute intro on truth, the belt of truth. You will be set free by knowing truth. If you feel attacked by the enemy, ask yourself what lie you're believing. And then go to the word to find the truth. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Now, someone asked me this week, what are some practical ways to engage in spiritual warfare? I'm going to tell you just a, a quick list of practical ways that I use when I feel or sense spiritual warfare. Music, worship music. If you feel like you're in a battle, turn on some worship music. Turn off the secular music. I'm not anti-secular music, but I am definitely pro-worship music. Get out in nature. Sometimes, man, I just feel like I can fight the devil better on the beach. I can. I can't. Cheryl, yeah, let's go have us a prayer meeting. Galveston. Journal. When you feel the weight of warfare, journal. Read the word, please. Read the word. Here's another one, often overlooked practical application. Uh, witness and evangelize. When you feel the enemy is, is harassing you, immediately grab your phone, text a friend an encouraging word. That, they'll back off for a moment. They'll be like, wait a minute. They've started the fire engines. They're doing stuff. They're move, the kingdom is moving. Let's, just, let's reassess what we're doing. So evangelize. Another one is meditate on a verse. When I feel a bit overwhelmed with spiritual warfare, I try to make my world get smaller and I focus on fewer things. I focus on the things that really matter. 
So rather than worrying about reading all of Psalms or all of Proverbs, I'll find one verse and I'll meditate on it. The, the scriptural way to meditate is sitting with your eyes closed, not that that matters, but kind of reciting it over and over and over, journaling about that one verse. How does it apply to me? Lord, what are you saying in this verse? Like you just stick with the one verse. Let your world get really small and let, let the Lord reveal to you something about that verse and then your life begins to transform, birthed out of one verse. That's one way to do spiritual warfare. And then the most spiritual thing sometimes that you can do when you are encountering warfare, listen, you better write this one down. This is the most profound of them all. Two parts to it. Eat a snack and take a nap. There are states of our being where we become very vulnerable to spiritual attack. When we're hungry is one of them. I, you ever been in an argument when you're hungry versus when you're not hungry? It's totally different. You can tend to sin in that argument when you're hungry. Why do you think Jesus was tempted when he was fasting? I'm not saying this to joke. I'm being very serious. There are states of your physical being that you are more vulnerable than other times. When you're over hungry, the enemy can see that as an open door. When you're overtired, the enemy can see that as an open door. When you're physically drained, exhausted, stressed, bored, lonely, all of these states of beings, if you don't regulate them and manage them well, they can lead to increased spiritual warfare in your life. For some of us, the best spiritual warfare we can do is get to the gym. Because we're taking care of our body, we're taking care of our physical needs so that our spirit man can be more alert and active and alive. Ephesians 6 lists broader terms. But I want to leave you with this. The Apostle Paul said that we need to demolish all the arguments that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Almost, almost all spiritual warfare, the end goal is to do one of three things. The end goal of spiritual warfare in your life is to get you to buy into one of three things. Back in the day, it was that, that Jesus was not fully God that Jesus was not fully human. And the third one was that Jesus was not enough. The Apostle Paul, he says that we need to tear down the arguments that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So all spiritual warfare is to get you confused about who God is. It's not really about your bank account. It's to get you to think that you serve a God who doesn't provide. The spiritual warfare is not really about your health. It's not really about the cancer. It's not really about the IBS, the Crohn's disease, the arthritis. That spiritual warfare, it's not about that. It's to get you to believe in a God who doesn't see you. A God who doesn't know your needs. A God who isn't able to heal you. And so we have to determine what the lies are that the enemy is trying to get us to believe in spiritual warfare. Will you stand to your feet? This week, I want you to do some homework. I want you to go home and I want you to journal about who Jesus is to you. What are the lies that you have been believing have you been believing that Jesus is far, far away? Have you been believing in the Rambo Jesus who just slays everybody and everything or the healthy, wealthy Jesus that if you're not really living in prosperity, then God's not for you? Have you been believing in a Jesus that did not suffer or maybe a Jesus who is your pal, who doesn't discipline or hold you accountable or Jesus with no mission a Jesus who's not trying to build the church and advance the kingdom. What is the Jesus that you have been looking to and believing in? Because that, my friends, 
is the focal point of all spiritual warfare. Will you close your eyes, bow your heads this morning? Father, I thank you. God, I thank you that you have given us a means to combat the evil one in our life, in our world, in our community, in our family. God, I also know that the armor of God is not something that you put on us. It's something you have provided, but it is our responsibility to put it on. So God, I ask that you would help us to put on the belt of truth. That we would take the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit. God, I thank you that the fiery darts of the wicked one, the lies that he's sending our way, that are fueling thoughts that then create feelings, that then fuel thought patterns, habits, cycles, spiritual bondage. God, I just thank you that you're cutting, cutting them off even in the lies, at the beginning stages that we're starting to discern the lies of the enemy. God, I thank you that we serve a good God, a gracious God, one, one who is fighting for us. God, I ask that you would just encourage your people today. Whatever warfare they're currently in, whatever they've been sensing this week, God, I thank you that they would be reminded that they're not alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, you were made for this. You were made for this. Hey, I want to remind you that next week is Legacy Offering. I teased Frank earlier about being here. I would love to see Frank any day, not just Legacy Offering, of course. But I do want to tell you this. If you choose to give sacrificially only one time a year, I'm praying and asking that you would consider the Exchange Church to be that place you give to next week. It's our legacy offering. We're going to give sacrificially all together. There's no gift that is going to be too small that God can't use it, and no gift too large that we wouldn't know what to do with it. So pray this week on what God is going to use you to give into legacy offering, and we will see you next Sunday for Legacy 2024. Amen? Take what you received in here. Go give it to someone out there. Now that you've been to church, go be the church. God bless you.